Welcome to Sermons from St. David's, a ministry of St. David's Episcopal Church in Southfield, Michigan. It's a chance for us to share a good word of challenge, inspiration, and hope as we walk the journey of faith together. You're welcome to join us on Sundays at 8 a.m. and 10 a.m. for live in-person worship. You can also join our 10 a.m. Eucharist via Zoom. Just go to our website for the meeting ID and password at stdavidssf.org. Good morning once again. I'd like to start by telling you a story about a friend of mine, a friend who was was constantly tired and edgy and stressed out because of his workload, and it was a company that he founded, a company that he worked at, and he was much more tired and worried and stressed before he heard this story. Once upon a time, a man named Ted came to the company lunchroom, and he sat down next to his friends there in the lunchroom, and he opened up his lunchbox, and there he pulled out a cheese sandwich. And he looked at that cheese sandwich, and he said, I hate cheese sandwiches. And he scarfed down that cheese sandwich and went off to his day. Next day, he came into work, went down to the lunchroom, sat with the same group of people, opened up his lunchbox. Oh man, another cheese sandwich. I hate cheese sandwiches. And he scarfed down his cheese sandwich. The third day, he came to the lunchroom, sits down with his buddies, where it looks a bit concerned, opens his lunchbox. Oh man, another cheese sandwich. I can't believe I got another cheese sandwich. And he scarfs down that cheese sandwich. At that point, one of his friends says, Hey, why don't you talk to the person who packs your lunches? Tell them you don't like cheese sandwiches. Who makes your lunches anyway? Ted goes, I do. <laughs> so after hearing that punchline, it finally dawned on that stressed out friend of mine that his fatigue and his worry, remember, he worked at his own company were largely his own doing, were largely his own fault. So he decided that he could then figure out what his workload might be, and he too could figure out precisely what kind of sandwich that he wanted to eat. Light bulb moments like this come to mind as you and I contemplate what our theme is this morning, which is of course Epiphany. It was the sixth, we moved it a few days to commemorate today. Epiphany, of course, is that Greek word, it means revelation, it means revealing, it means manifestation. And then I think it invites you and me to look for the ways that God is making God's presence known to you and me, and what God may be saying to you and me, especially in the light of a new year. Our icons, of course, are these, are these uh, wonderful three wise men. That's what the text says, wise men. But, of course, we, we sang about them, didn't we, Al, in the, in the three kings. And, of course, kings, though, were not, they didn't get named kings until about the 5th century. Uh, so, so, so it's more literally wise men. But, you know what? You know what the original term is? Some of you know, what's the original term? Magi. Magi. What word, Chris, do we get from magi? Magic. We get magic from magi. That means that the word magi carries for you and me this connotation of a delightful mystery, an air of ethereal possibility, perhaps even divine intervention. Basically what Kevin McCarthy's House of Republicans have been looking for all week, but that's another sermon. The magi, of course, uh, these experts would tell us that they're likely from Persia. Okay, they came from the East from Persia. And so they were likely, uh, amen, 
<laughs> they were likely uh, practitioners of a religion you guys have heard of that's kind of faded out, but it's called Zoroastrianism. And Zoroastrianism um, is, uh, oh, we've got a runaway carpet. Uh, <laughs> walkers walking on its own. The spirit is moving. Zoroastrianism, uh, therefore, uh, is, was actually you think about it, there weren't any monotheistic religions around back then, other than Judaism. Which is known, uh, which is uh, which is where these wise men came from. Of course, this 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 uh, story is only mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which is further further mysterious. We only have one mention of it in the scriptures. How many of you have been to worship at like an Orthodox church, maybe St. John's? Um, I ask because historically speaking, there's a fundamental theological distinction between the evolution of churches of the East, right? That would be Orthodox and, and the ways the Orthodox worship, and the uh, the convictions of churches of the West, of which Catholics, Anglicans, Lutherans, etc., would find themselves. Churches of the West, again, big big brushstrokes here, have historically been preoccupied. Churches of the West with figuring out who God is. We have a habit and a history of intellectual inquiry and investigation from St. Augustine to Anselm and on and on, wanting to know scientifically and philosophically who's God, what exactly is the Trinity, where actually is heaven. People from the West and formed in Western theology ask these questions. If you've ever, ever wondered these things, congratulations, you aren't from the West. That's the water we swim in. Contrast this with the Orthodox and the folks in the churches of the East. Walk into an Orthodox church and take a whiff. What do you smell? Plenty of incense. Isn't this stuff hippies use? To try to communicate with a different sense of reality. Gaze up into the towering walls and what do you see? Icons, pictures, depicting all sorts of mysterious saints who had these, these uh, wondrous uh, interactions with the divine. Then open your ears to the chanting in another language, a mysterious language. What are they saying? What kind of otherworldly music is this? Well, you figure quite rightly, they're probably saying something like, worthy is the Lamb. Holy is his name. We have found the Messiah. Come, let us adore him. The story is told, and I'll, I'll make the brush of the strokes even wider here. The story is told about two theologians, one from the West and one from the East. And those theologians each is given a bright red, beautifully in full bloom rose to take back to their room. Well, the theologian from the West takes the rose back to his room, he puts it on the table, and he has turned that table into an examination table. And he commences to pull the rose apart, petal by petal, taking copious notes and detailed sketches about the flower until he's produced a wonderful 12-volume theological treatise on the rose, the remains of which lie there wilting away on the ground and on the table there. The theologian though, from the East, meanwhile, has taken the rose back to his room. And this is where he's been busy setting up his table. And his table, however, is an altar. And he has been busy cutting and sewing the tablecloth from the finest cloth available, washing out a crystal vase, shining up a silver plate, so that upon that pressed and fitted tablecloth, there might sit the shiny silver plate holding the sparkling crystal vase, so gently caressing the delicate and beautiful rose across from which the theologian sits 
not taking notes or making sketches, but indeed contemplation and meditation and gratitude for the wonder and beauty before it. So, where do these three wise men come from? The West? Come from the East. Now, it's a good thing, because had they come from the West, what do you suppose they brought Jesus? Right? Box of pampers, okay, casserole, uh, maybe a pack and play, uh, so the kid wouldn't get the hay out of his hair. But no, what we get in the story is we get these mysterious magi from the East, these three kings from Persia. These three magi who came from the East, these magic men who did not come by GPS on their smartphone, who did not come with a map made from some kind of cartographer, but by this mysterious heavenly light that's in each one of us, that guides and directs, that talks to us, and that pushes us in some directions and keeps us from going in others. What do they bear? They bear gifts of gold given to a king, we sang about it. Gifts of myrrh used to embalm. Embalm one who is destined to die. And frankincense, you got the second half of that word, is incense. Incense, of course, to worship, to bow down in homage and in praise. How else, magi from the East would ask, would we approach the divine? How else would we do that? As some of you know, I've been in serious conversation with a friend of mine out in California, a very bright, well-educated, spiritually aware woman, who's not a Christian, but has asked me if I could be in conversation with her and explain Christianity, unpack Christianity to her. And so we've been doing this for a couple of months now. Um, and we've done this because, as we talked about recently, there's just something about every human being that is spiritual. You have an arm, you have a leg, you have a tongue, you have a brain. But there's just some part of us that is spiritual. Like it or not, we are just wired that way. This manifests itself regularly. Ever walk down the street? Oh, I don't go by that house. Why? It gives me the creeps. Why'd you buy that car? Oh, just felt right. Just felt like the right car. Why'd you marry that guy? <laughs> I felt like we were destined to be together. Like we were soulmates. Now, you may not have said that, but you heard None of these things are logical, because humans are not always logical. We do not always rely on our intellect. We live much of our lives on intuition, unconscious, unconscious thing, feelings, and according to that inner voice. Some of the best decisions you all and I've made has been following that inner voice, that generous urge, when it's not comfortable or convenient or safe or popular. But we do it because we feel like that's what we need to do. We have a spiritual sign, side, and it's designed and it's destined for epiphanies. And so the point of the sermon is to encourage us to get in touch more deeply, more nearly with our spiritual sides. We live in such a busy, harangued world. I mean, there's always something pinging or going off or buzzing in our lives. And I think the spiritual life is one in which we try very deeply to connect with that inner voice, the voice of God. This, the book of Proverbs says that the, 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 the inner voice of man is the candle of the Lord. It's the light of the Lord. And so, I think poet Mary Oliver said something very interesting when she said, the heart has many dungeons. The heart has many dungeons. So bring the light. Bring the light. Which is what we look at doing here in Epiphany. 
I, I like to think that this is what the Magi were up to when they set out upon their journey led only by a hunch, only by a feeling, a strange light, an invisible force of attraction, the spirit drawing them to the object of their lives. I think the object of ours also. I think we're all trying to make our way home. We're all trying to find out where that place of love and acceptance and joy, long living joy resides. And that's at home with God, which is where we're at home. So Epiphany is like this great feast that invites us to quicken our stride towards God. What does that look like for you? What's it look like to quicken your stride toward God? Epiphany is that awakening to the voice of God who is in our midst, who is in us and around us, and who is yearning for us to draw more nearly to God. Epiphany is when we look for manifestations of God at work around us. How has God been at work around you? You have our friends who like, they just seem so God conscious. Like they just can bring something to light that's like so average or normal. And they put a theological spin on it. They can say, oh, that's God at work. I wonder how, what that inner voice is saying to us and how we're being invited to make that voice loud. You know, I was at a funeral this week. I was at a funeral for a friend of mine who I've known for many, many years. She's about my age, so she's really young. Um, but she's not that old. She's, she was, I think, 62 and she died of cancer. The battle for 20 years was a long road. It was a deacon. The deacon uh, family, as you know well. Um, but her name is Robin. Robin and her family, they were carrying this burden together, uh, two kids. Uh, the beauty of that entire experience for me was watching the grace and the dignity and the faith with which they addressed this horrible disease. Horrible disease, eating away at her. Year in and year out, they went through endless treatments, doctor visits, and medication changes. And the way they chose to address this challenge, which nobody asked for and nobody ever wanted, I think served as an epiphany for a lot of us. Why do I say that? Because I asked her husband, Mike, I said, Mike, how do you do this? You've been doing this for 20 years now. This is not the marriage you thought you would get into. How do you muster the fortitude to be so faithful day in and day out? And he looked to me quite frankly and said, what else can I do? What else can I do? How, how, how else could I behave? The voice is pretty clear at times like this. You know what to do. You know the right thing, the faithful thing, to care and support the love of my life in your hour of need. The inner voice is pretty clear at times like that. I thank God for people like Mike and like so many of you, because there's nobody here who's not going through something, who embody the faithful obedience of heeding that voice during difficult times, you are doing the right thing, friend. The obedient thing, when you choose compassion, self-compassion, when you choose selflessness in your time of trial, if that's you, do be encouraged that your faithfulness through adversity is inspiring more people than you know. We are finding the light, the epiphany light of Christ through your faithfulness. You know, this is the time of year when many of us make resolutions for the year ahead. Lose weight, eat better, exercise more. You know all those resolutions you made last Saturday that you've already broken by now. <laughs> now, the people who research these things find an important correlation. When we make resolutions based on outer voices, you heard me talk about the kids, and inner voices, the popular resolutions to get healthy, for example, and the resolutions we make based on our inner voices, which may not be that at all. People who attempt change, listening to outer voices, they've done research on this, listening to the voices of societal or familial expectation, 
and then trying to do the right thing. They're trying to do the right thing, but for the wrong reason. And unsurprisingly, those will fail. The resolutions to make are the ones that you feel a call to deep inside your soul. Those who make these resolutions based on the deep-seated conviction that they are following an inner light, that still small voice, and are acting from the inside out, that's where the needful, effective change occurs. So when making resolutions, don't make them from the outside in, make them from the inside out. What is that inner voice saying to you today? How are you listening to your body? How are you listening to your heart? How are you opening yourselves up to the light as the Magi did? The light that they trusted to direct them, to guide them, to guide them. Earlier this week, our staff held one of those triennial retreats. Three times a year we get together and kind of plan things. And this topic came up. You know, I've been your rector for 15 plus years now. I came here because an inner voice led me. Not an autumn voice, don't worry, not hearing anything. <laughs> But in alignment of circumstances, a harmony of personalities, a puzzle piece that did not have to be forced to get into place. And I will stay here until this voice calls me elsewhere. Don't worry, I have no announcements. <laughs> but I, I'm saying that I, I do try to listen as to where I'm supposed to be, and I know you do too. And I think Epiphany calls us to a higher level of this. I'm going to do my best to listen for and to that voice, knowing that we have a very helpful spiritual side to us and that we are called to live from the inside out, trusting in the work of God, not the work of man to lead us. How are we being asked to do the difficult work of following that inner voice today? Star of wonder, star of light, guide us to that wonderful light. Thanks so much for listening. And may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good, that you may do his will, working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen.